Boom. All right. All right. What up? What up? What up? Okay. Hello and welcome back to the One Goal U.S. Soccer Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 12th. We're back. We're talking MLS is back. We're talking maybe some transformers if we have time. And I guess we'll start off here. George, how are we doing today? I'm um, doing absolutely wonderful today. Um, you know, lots of soccer on TV. That always makes me happy. So, yeah, I'm doing great. Awesome. Me too, man. I'm doing pretty well. It's nice to see the MLS is back current wrapping up. We had a good game last night. And then today we have FC Dallas versus Nashville. We got some Champions League stuff. So soccer's really never ended and it kind of keeps going. So I'm very encouraged by that. We had Gio Reyna this morning score a goal for Dortmund. And he played, I think, 45 minutes for them. So good overall day for U.S. soccer. And we're having a good time. But let's go back to last night. Let's talk about the final game of analysis back. We had Orlando City versus the Portland Timbers. Give me your first initial thoughts. How do you think that game went? And then we'll move into our best 11 from the MLS's back tournament. Yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of went as expected a little bit. Portland Timbers, a lot of the guys on their team are very experienced. They've played in the 2015 MLS Cup. They've played an MLS Cup, I believe it was 2018. So they have a lot of experience. And that's the one thing we said that, you know, obviously Orlando City has Nani, who has big game experience. But as a whole, Portland Timbers was the team that have been in finals before and kind of knew what to do. And honestly, I did feel at times Orlando City had the better position or better possession rather. And, you know, I think in the end, like that experience, you know, just paid off for Portland. Both center backs scored off of set pieces and, you know, they come out with the win. Yeah, no, I agree. I think what you're saying is pretty much all we need to say. Portland, they weren't necessarily the better team the entire game, but they were the veteran. They knew what they were doing. They came in with a mission. They had it set out. And I think this was really a good learning experience for Atlanta City, you know. No one really thinks about them as one of the teams that can contend in the MLS, but they've shown that they can play against anybody and pretty much compete. So I think this is a good first step for them as a club that struggled, you know, since the Kaka days and coming into the league. So now they have their designated DP uh, in Nani. They have the coach, and I think they have some pieces there to work with. So I'm encouraged for them long term. But again, this was just the Portland Timbers being the Portland Timbers and doing as they do. So it was a, it was a nice game, and I think it was an overall really good tournament. I really enjoyed it. I don't know if any thoughts on the tournament in general, but I thought it was kind of a cool thing from MLS to kind of take away from all of the different regular season things and saying we're scrapping that and we're making it all happen now. So I thought that was a cool thing. And I don't know, maybe you should be considered doing this maybe once a year for a Champions League position. Like, what do you think about that? Or Champions yeah. League Cup? Is that the official word? Yeah, I, I don't think it's something that necessarily needs to be done outside of pandemic, but I do think MLS needs to be commended. Obviously, you know, once the cases started coming out for FC Dallas and for Nashville, you know, people were like, this is a horrible idea. We need to shut it down. And even I was one of those people that was that was like, you know, what? this is not off to a great start. It would it be best to just kind of pull back from this? But MLS pulled on through those two teams left and it was smooth sailing from there on out. And I honestly feel like it's almost getting disrespected in the media right now. You know, people are talking about the NBA bubble, you know, the WNBA bubble, you know. MLB having all these problems. And meanwhile, first was NW then WSL that finished off their bubble. Now MLS has finished up with theirs with, you know, relative success. And, you know, it's not really being talked about, but, you know, just I'd like to commend MLS for pulling this off. We'll see how the regular season goes. They're starting to add fans. Not sure, you know, how honestly that's going to work. But, you know, so far it's been a check in terms of the bubble. Yeah, no, I completely agree. All right, well, let's pivot to our next subject. We're doing our best alignment from the tournament. So, Jordan, I'll let you go first. Why don't you give me your back line, include the goalie, and we'll go from there. All right, for this one, there was a bunch of guys who I was, you know, kind of grappling with. I'd say my honorable mentions for this group are Pedro Galese, 
uh, Ruan from Orlando. Honestly, the whole Orlando backline are, you know, honorable mentions for me. Ruan, Antonio Carlos, Robin Janssen, Yamutinho. All those guys are honorable mentions for me. But the backline and goal I decided to go with in goal, Andre Blake from Philadelphia Union. At right back, his teammate, Raymond Gaddis. At center back, his other teammate, Mark McKenzie. Uh, from Portland, the center back, goal scoring hero from the final, Laris Maibiala. And at left back, an up-and-coming American who had a solid showing, Chase Gaspar. Nice, nice, nice. So for me, I'm pretty similar. I went with Matt Turner. I'm a little biased. He's a Matt. I'm a Matt. I figured why not. And, you know, he was a really strong tournament. He showed his leadership abilities. And one thing I thought was really interesting also, Charlie Davis said a couple days ago that he gained like a Lithuanian passport so he could be on the move eventually. So, I mean, with the U.S. depth chart, I think he's definitely a name to watch. But, you know, Blake's always solid. I guess for another person I went with, I went with Aaron Herrera. I could have gone Gaddis. And then I went Lairs Mobila as well. And then another up-and-comer, Mark McKenzie, backed up again with Chase Gaspar. So pretty simple for me. But I think one thing that I was tough trying to figure out was who I wanted to pick at the right-back spot. You know, Aaron Herrera played really well the entire tournament. I was tinkering with maybe going with Nick Lima, moving over the right to have some position flexibility. And I also thought Kyle Duncan had a really strong tournament. You know, his team didn't necessarily perform very well, but he's shown that he could be an important player for the Olympic cycle. Um, so that's kind of my takeaway. And then Larry's Mabula, you know, the team won. He was solid the entire time. And I also think the Minnesota back line deserves some recognition. You know, they were solid all the way up to the semifinal. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, to the semifinal. And without their uh, star defender in, um, fuck, what's his name? Uh, Ikapara. There we go. Without Ikapara, you know, that's, that's a tough task to go into any tournament saying you're missing your best player. But the entire back line was solid and they were able to, uh, go much farther than anyone thought they were. So I thought that was really impressive. What about your midfield? Yeah, uh, well, just, you know, first of defense, I think just in general, defense is the one position where you get defense and defensive midfield are the positions where you get the most underrated players. And that's why it was so hard for me to leave people out because there's so many underrated people. For example, you know, at right back, I, I could have gone with Chris Duvall. He's a guy who, you know, didn't play in MLS last year, comes in immediately as a starter at right back from Portland wins a tournament for them, you know, the Orlando center backs, like I mentioned, you know, two guys coming into the team, leading to the final, you go, you could have even gone with Zuper. It's this other center back from Portland Timber. So I think just so many underrated options. It was hard to pick for even in goal. Pedro Galese had a couple great saves in the final. We'll start from Orlando throughout. So, you know, just shout out to all the defenders who really made a name for himself throughout the tournament. Yeah, that's a good call. I guess I'll go with my midfield. So I went with Darlington Nagby. Um, let's see here. Nagby, Brandon Aronson, and then Sebastian Blanco. That's him, right? Right? Yeah. I was getting confused. Okay, so I'll go again. So I went with Donington Nagby, Brandon Aronson, and Sebastian Blanco. You know, I kind of kept it simple, and Nagby was really good in the beginning. He was solid throughout. He didn't get a bunch of game-ins because Columbus is rotating their squads, but I think he was just a solid player throughout, and he deserves recognition. Aronson, of course. Blanco, what else needs to be said? These were the guys who were leading their teams. And you look at the teams that went far, and these are the guys that were kind of the, in the engine room making it all happen. So I'm not sure what else needs to be said about any of those guys. But in regards to Aronson, I guess one thing we should definitely talk about is I saw something this morning, especially piggybacking off of uh, Mark McKenzie, that the Philadelphia Union are preparing to move forward without them at some point. So I think as USMNT fans, we should be aware and conscious that those guys should be moving abroad soon. And I think this tournament was really cool just to give them the exposure they need to get to the next level. But why don't you give me your midfield? 
Yeah, so for my midfield, I decided to go with one holder and then two more creative players. And for that holder, lots of names that were in the mix. I thought James Sands had a great tournament. Eric Williamson, uh, we'll talk about him later, but you know, I kind of thought he, you know, really showed out this tournament and not a lot of people were expecting it. Um, like you said, uh as well, Darrington Nagby, solid tournament, just kept the ball taking for Columbus, and they were one of the early favorites. But in that position, I decided to go with Diego Chara. He's an MLS vet. He's been here for 10 years. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yes, he's good for a yellow card every game, but he's a player that you want on the field in those key games, and he's sure throughout the tournament. I thought for 75 minutes against Philadelphia Union, he kind of kept Brendan Aronson at bay. And once again, in the final, he was all over the place. He's annoying to play against, and he's just the type of player that you have confidence in every time he steps on the field. And then, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think James Sands is one of those players I probably would have put into my group if I could add one more player. He definitely played really well. We saw against Toronto FC, but we'll touch on more of that later. Um, I guess I'll go with my guys up top. I kept it pretty simple in terms of. <laughs> I didn't even say my other two midfielders. Oh, sorry, dude. I didn't even know that. Right. Wait, you thought okay. I was gonna play with one midfielder? I didn't. Even, I just didn't even. Okay, go again. Just go to the top. <laughs> Sorry, bro. I'm so sorry. Dude, you're cracking me up today. I'm a little tired. <laughs> All right. And for my other two attacking midfielders, um, Brendan Aronson, you know, he's the name that keeps coming up after this tournament. Uh, he's the, you know, hot topic in MLS right now. And rightfully so. He had a fantastic tournament. Didn't necessarily always get on the stat sheet, but he was always involved in the play. I think another name, while Brendan Aronson, you could say, you know, is a sexy choice. If you want to go, for another player from Philadelphia Union, I think Alejandro Bedoya was solid throughout. He kind of showed that he still has legs under him. He still has a better presence. He's their captain. And honestly, I was really impressed by Bedoya and think, um, you know, Bedoya was probably 10, 12 years younger. He'd be the one in Aronson's position. Also, you know, getting European interest. But obviously, you know, that's not the case. And then the other one I had was uh, Pereira from Orlando City, kind of. You know, an unknown commodity coming to the tournament. Not a lot of people knew about him or his background. And even after the tournament, I haven't really, you know, heard much being talked about him. But I was thoroughly impressed with him every single game down there in Orlando. I think he combined well with Nani. He was a creative player, always just picking out his runners. And, you know, I'm really excited if this regular season does go on to see how he progresses throughout. Yeah, those are all really good calls. I think someone else that I probably should have included in my list was James Sands. He had that really strong game against uh, Toronto FC and really destroyed Michael Bradley. So I really was encouraged watching him play. I guess I'll go with my guys up top. I kept it also pretty simple there. I went with Nani, Rossi, and I was really thinking about Jordan Morris if I could figure out a way to get him involved. But I went with Abobasi up top. My other pick may have been Awak Anola. If he would have played one more game and been healthy, I think that would have been his spot. But Abobasi being on the team that won, scoring goals, and just being an important player for him deserves some recognition. I think Nani, of course, what else needs to be said? We touched on him before in other podcasts, and he's just a star player. He played like a star the entire tournament, so he deserves that spot. And Diego Rossi, I mean, what else can be said about this guy? I think he's ready for somewhere else. You know, he's, he's a beast the entire tournament. And I think MLS just named him as the young player of the tournament, and he was just so solid. You know, in five games played, seven goals, and for Abobasi, in seven games played, he had four goals. So I, I like the goal scorers, and I just think that all of those guys played really well. 
Yeah, I think, you know, for Emelis' back, there were so many good attackers who, you know, won out earlier, whether it was, like you said, Morris, Rossi, Ayu Akinola. And so it's kind of the question is, do you put in somebody who left early but made their impact? Or do you, you know, put in somebody like Abobi, say, who, you know, was just, you know, solid the entire way, you know, but made his team, you know, win the tournament in the end. So it's interesting who you went with. For me, I also went with Nani and Blanco as well. You know, they were kind of probably the two real MVP candidates going head to head. And I think it was a case of whoever's team won, that's who would get MVP. And in the end, it was Blanco. And and I just think throughout the tournament, they were the two go-to guys for their team. I think, you know, for past years for Portland, it's always been the Valeri show. And this year we've seen that Valeri still has it in him, but he's not necessarily the focal point anymore. And I think Blanco's happily taken that role. And he had some really good moments throughout the tournament. And if he was to get MVP, you know, I think he'd be pretty deserving of it. And for my last player in that front line, like you said, I have to go with Diego Rossi. Yes, his team got out in the quarterfinals, but this guy is just clearly above the MLS level. Every time he touches the ball, it's one of those things where, you know, something special is going to happen, whether it's outside the box, inside the box, taking a shot, putting a cross in. Diego Rossi has shown that Carlos Vela is a quality player, but if LAFC don't have him, Rossi's willing to step up. Rossi's there to get those numbers, score those goals, get those assists. So, you know, I think Diego Rossi is probably the next um, possibly 20 million plus transfer out of MLS. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's completely crazy. You think about LAFC, everyone's going into the tournament asking, what are they going to do without Carlos Vela? But I think if you were just a casual MLS fan, you didn't know that LAFC was missing one of their best players, you would think this team is still one of the best in the MLS and they're missing a Carlos Vela search. Total testament to Rossi, even Bob Bradley, the job that he did for LAFC and the team as well. I think it was a really good showing by them, given the circumstances. And I wish they would have gone farther, but they had tough matchups. And that's how the game is played. You know, it's up and down, and you never know what's going to happen. But I guess we can pivot to our next thing here. We have little MLS's back awards. So I think what we're going to do here, we'll do like an MVP, an American MVP, biggest surprise player, biggest like MNT depth chart, depth chart jumper, maybe an unsung hero, and then our favorite moment from the tournament. George, why don't you go first? Give me your MVP. MVP, um, like I said, I think MLS is going to give it to Sebastian Blanco. The nominees were for them were Blake, Blanco, Nani, and Diego Rossi. Uh, but honestly, if you want to talk about who the best player at that tournament was, who the best player to step on the field in Orlando was, it was Diego Rossi. Every time he was on the field, he was by far the most dangerous person on it. He is... Honestly, he might be the best player in MLS right now because we have not seen Carlos Vela this season. And I just think Diego Rossi is a dynamic player, almost as dynamic as any player we've ever seen at MLS before. Yeah, no, I, I can't add anything else other than that. I think it's tough, though, because you look at MVP and it's most valuable player, and that's kind of relative because you look at the Portland Timbers, their most valuable player who got them all the way there was Sebastian Blanco. But if you're talking about the pure best player, it might have been Diego Rossi. So I don't know. It's kind of a toss-up for me, but I, again, lead Diego Rossi on the grounds that he was the best player, not maybe the most valuable. So I guess if it's most valuable, I'll switch to Sebastian Blanco, but I'm still kind of in between. But what about American MVP? I think maybe Mark McKenzie is probably the easy favorite, but what do you think? Uh, I think you hit it right on the nail. I think Brendan Aronson, like I said, has garnered a lot of attention, but Mark McKenzie as well, you know, he's slowly creeping up depth charts. He's slowly, you know, getting some European looks and, I think Mark McKenzie is probably the complete package at center back. He's not necessarily physically imposing. He's probably 5'11", maybe six feet, but 
He has good pace on him. He knows how to read the game. We've seen him become more vocal this season. And honestly, I think the best part about his game, he plays his left center back and he's a right footer playing 50 yard pass with his left foot. And if I'm a European scout, I'm drooling at that. And I think Mark McKenzie has really put his best foot forward this tournament to show that I'm ready. You know, we saw a little bit of, you know, him being benched here and there last season. He was injured going to the U20 World Cup, so didn't get to play as much as he wanted. And it was one of those things where there was, you know, did we think too much about this guy too fast? Is he really ready? And Mark McKenzie unquestionably answered this tournament. Yes, I am. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think McKenzie's a good shot. And I think his fellow teammate, Brandon Aronson, we talked about them before, but there's no reason to not talk about them again. The two guys being the most European interest are Mark McKenzie and Brandon Aronson. So how could they not be the most valuable Americans? Like if, if Pax and Pomacol was here, maybe this is a spot for him to step up and say, this is my position to be the American MVP. But those are the guys they perform. What else is there to say? Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned Pax and Pomacol. I'm excited to see, you know, if he does play today and throughout the rest of the regular season. He's someone who, you know, like I said with McKenzie, the way he got injured before the U20 World Cup was in and out of the Philadelphia lineup. Some people, you know, kind of forgot about him. And I think that's what's happening with Pax and Pomacol now. So, you know, all the hype's on Aronson. I think, you know, Pax and Pomacol's probably, you know, has that chip on his shoulder. And I'm excited to see how he responds. Yeah, just to add to that, I think it's kind of a shame that FC Dallas missed out on the tournament because you look at how the European scouts have really looked at McKenzie and Aronson. And like you said, with the injury troubles that Paxton's had in the past, this tournament could have been a really good opportunity for him to get those looks. But I think with MLS coming back, as long as he's staying healthy, he'll make the move eventually. But I think it just sucks that we didn't get to see him there. What about biggest surprise? Who's the guy that really stood out to you? I think uh, the biggest surprise for me, and I'd say for a lot of people, was Eric Williamson. You know, he was a guy who came to the youth national team picture, you know, kind of late, you know, went to the U-20 World Cup, but, you know, he had his homegrown rights traded from D.C. United to Portland Timbers and, you know, was dwelling in their USL team for a while. And then, boom, MLS is back, comes, and he's a starter, and he's right there next to Diego Chara. And the thing I love about Eric Williamson is that he is a little bit of both a destroyer and a creative player. He was next to Chara, cleaning up balls, making tackles. But then you look at the winning goal, he has a chop inside the box and gets a shot off that ends up, you know, kind of deflecting a couple times and into the net. So Eric Williamson kind of showed that, you know, we'll see what happens after this tournament with the regular season. But maybe he's someone that jumps up the depth chart a little bit. Maybe someone that it's, huh, maybe we kind of broke this guy off a little bit too much. So I definitely say Eric Williamson for me because I thought he was, a, you know, pretty much a forgotten name. Yeah, no, I remember we were texting back and forth about Williamson, and we were both kind of surprised that he was a serious player. And I think in terms of his national team prospects, maybe we could see him at the Olympics. You know, he's a veteran player. He's been with the U23s in the past and the U20s, I believe. And so he's, you know, he's a veteran at this point in his career. And I think it, not really a veteran, but he's a young veteran. You know what I'm saying? He's done the USL stuff. He was a homegrown. Now he's finally coming to his own. I think this is a, another case of, don't write off these players so they really get the chance. And I'm glad to see him get the chance and do well for it just for himself. And maybe not even the national picture, but again, just for himself. And yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's surprising too, because Portland Timbers is not known for youth development. You know, we mentioned that, that tweet that Philadelphia had, you know, of their three homegrowns, Blake Bodily, I think played maybe two minutes throughout the entire tournament. Marco Farfan started his first MLS game in, I think like two years or something, you know, during the tournament played in one game. So Portland Timmons is not known for playing youth players. So when they got Eric Williamson, you know, people were like, like, what is he doing? What are they doing? 
And as he wasn't playing, as he was in USL, we were like, exactly, you know, that's that's what we were talking about. And then boom, this tournament comes in. He's in the midfield. And I think that's just a credit to Gio Savarese. You know, maybe this is the time for change for Portland. You know, some of their key players are getting older. Charaz up there in age. Valeri's on his last legs. Maybe Portland will start to get these young players more integrated. Yeah, definitely. It's a great point. I think for me, the biggest surprise player, it's pretty easy. I remember in the beginning, it was the AOA Canola show, and I don't have any reason to write him off as the biggest surprise. I think I might cheat a little bit and also add him to our next uh, thing over here. We have biggest MNT depth chart jumper. I think he definitely has put himself in the conversation as a striker. And I think another surprise player that stands out for me is Cade Cowell, 16-year-old homegrown and one of the youngest in MLS history. Got some minutes, and I, he wasn't necessarily the most impressive player, but I was just surprised to see a player that that age look competent. And, you know, he was electric. He moved the ball well. He was quick. He was smart. And I don't think we really talk about him in terms of national team prospects, but I think he's just someone to monitor. So I really enjoyed watching Cade Cowell, and I commend the San Jose Earthquakes for giving him the chance to play. So I think it was really cool. But let's transition to the next one here. You have biggest MNT Death Star jumper. And I said before, AO Akinola is definitely on that list for me. So who do you have for you? For me, um... For me, I kind of had two names that were, you know, on my tongue for this one. But I think the one that I feel has the most realistic prospect is Chase Gaspar. And I mentioned it in a, a couple of pods ago about how, you know, a right back in MLS will play well for years on years and never get a call up. But a left back can play a couple good games and, you know, go to the Gold Cup. But, you know, I think Jace, Chase Gaspar has... He's earned that call-up. He earned that debut, and he's shown why he got it. He had two specific plays that, you know, were getting replayed and replayed all over again. But just in terms of, in general, Chase Gaspar was possibly, along with John Moutinho, the strongest left back in Orlando. You know, I was watching uh, the last game with my brother, the Minnesota match, and he watched the last probably 20 minutes, and Chase Gaspar did not lose the ball once. You know, he has this kind of, cockiness when he has the ball in possession especially inside his own box in his own defensive half where you see a lot of young young players who just want to clear the ball they don't want to be in danger they have a fear of losing it and chase gaspar will do a twist he'll do a turn and then he'll find a midfielder and i think that's very underrated right now you look at the left back pool you have anthony robinson who's you know the big name right now Sergio des who can play left back and then after that it's you know, is it Gaspar? Is it Sam Vines? Is it Chris Gloucester? There's a lot of uncertainty. And I think Chase Gaspar, if you're looking at left-footed left-backs, it's him and Anthony Robinson at the moment. So, you know, I think he's kind of solidified that spot. And I think he's the biggest depth chart jumper. Yeah, no, that's a great shot. I think he's definitely a really interesting player. I think one thing that's tough with him is his age. I think he's around 24 years old. So it's tough when you look at him and you say he needs a couple of years. Actually, let me just double check on his age before I assume. Yeah, he's 24. Okay, there you go. All right, well, you look at Chase Gaspar, you know, he's 24 years old, so his, I guess his time as a youth prospect has already expired. But I think, like you said, he has this confidence with him, and he shows that he can really play at a high level. And I'm not sure that's necessarily a national team level, but I think he's shown in this tournament that he deserves a look, and so there's no reason not to bring it in. If Chris Glosser hasn't necessarily broken in by October or November, he's definitely somebody you have to consider. And I think once Chris Glosser officially breaks in with PSV, Whenever that happens, I think maybe Gaspar really needs to show out. But if you're talking about right now, who are the players that can contribute to the left-back position, you said it best. Chase Gaspar is one of those guys. So I think another player we should also mention, though, in terms of depth arc jumper, we talked about in a couple of podcasts previously about James Sands and how 
Greg Berhalter loves these uh, deep-lying sixes who can kind of spray it around, drop in between the center backs to aid in possession if needed. So I think James Sands was really, really solid when we talk about that kind of profile. And again, he's pretty young, and a lot of hype goes to Joe Scally because Scally's the one who has the move to Bruce and Gladbach coming up in January. But I think Sands was just really solid. And you talk about players who are really solid in the sixth position. There are the world traps and players like that who are safe. But, you know, Sands has a younger age, so I think he was really interesting and showed, hey, man, don't forget about me. So I just enjoyed watching him and reminding to myself, oh, yeah, James Sands, he's a player. Don't forget about that. So I guess we'll translate to our next one. Translate. I guess we will transition to the next category here. We have unsung hero. What do you got for that one? For this one, I think um, the unsung hero we have to talk about for me is Chris Duvall, starting right back for Portland Timbers. And you talk about, you know, players who've been forgotten. I think Chris Duvall is probably the most forgotten player, you know, who played in that final. You know, he came into the league out of Wake Forest, had a good years at Red Bulls where he was a starter, at Montreal where he was a starter. And then last season, he gets traded to Houston Dynamo and only plays in one game back in June, so June 2019, and then, you know, gets waived, gets sent to the USL. You know, he's a guy who drops out of the league for the first time in six years, and then Portland picks him up. He becomes their starter, and he was pretty solid throughout the tournament. He's, you know, he's as they say, he's solid but unspectacular. He wasn't bombing up and down the right wing like Ruan was for Orlando, but he put in his best foot forward defensively, and, you know, if they had a weak right back, they wouldn't have made it that far. So, you know, I commend Chris Duvall for coming back into the league and kind of proving himself once again. Yeah, that's a great shot. I think for me, my unsung hero or heroes is just MLS vets in general. We had a little shithousery with uh, Kyle Beckerman. You know, he got that red card. That was kind of funny. We have Wando who just keeps chugging and keeps scoring. Like, what do you do about that guy, man? He is nuts. And, of course, Bradley White Phillips. Uh, Bradley Wright Phillips who was replacing Carlos Vela and had a really tough task. But early on, he showed he still had a lot in the tank. So I think it was really cool to see these MLS veterans who we've kind of written off as just, you know, these are guys who can come on and give you 20 minutes. But they were giving you good, good games. And Beckerman, Wando, and all, and Bradley Wright Phillips, they still have stuff left in the tank. So I think it was cool just to see those guys who I remember watching growing up and to see them still keep going. What about yeah. this? Yeah, like, like you said, you know, these guys – still have it the same way I talked about Alejandro Bedoya, you know, like you said, Beckerman, Wando, Bradley Wright Phillips. I think Diego Chara goes into that category. You know, these are guys who've been in the league for many, many years, some of whom have played their careers in Europe and come back to MLS and, you know, they still got it. There's a reason why Portland made the final and won because they have that veteran presence and, you know, Philadelphia union was a great team, but in terms of veteran presence, it was really only Bedoya and, they kind of fell short. So this tournament showed that you still need those key players who've been through it all to succeed. You know, just because you have young up and coming players who are probably going to get sold to Europe at some point doesn't guarantee you winning. And I think, you know, this league has shown that Toronto FC, you know, how they've had success. They've gotten guys like Bradley, like Josie Altador, when Cheru and Giovinco were in the league, guys who are experienced. So I think though MLS is in a new age, where there's young players coming up from America, young players getting moved here from South America. I think it's still a league where experience is the most important factor in terms of creating a winning team. 
Yeah, no doubt. You need every team. You kind of need that guy who's the grinder. It doesn't necessarily mean he's playing in the midfield or up top or in the back. But you need one of those guys who can just either come on or stay on and just you know give you that extra like oomph in a sense. You know what I mean? Because you have that leader, that person you can look to and say, if that guy is calm, okay, we should be calm too. So I think all of the MLS vets did a great job of doing that, and it shows kind of like you said how the league is evolving, but yet there's still some value in these kind of guys. So I guess the last thing we can touch on is the best moment, and I think this one is pretty easy. Thomas Hassel's performance versus Sporting KC. Man, that was that was absolutely nuts. It kind of reminded me. I think it was a key and peel sketch where they had the goalie sitting in front of uh, the penalty shootout, and he was just getting pelted with the goal. No, it was uh, it was um, it was Scott Sterling. It wasn't key and peel. Uh, All right, Scott Sterling. Yeah, my yeah Scott but, Scott Scott Sterling. Yeah, but the, he he absolutely gets keep getting drilled and drilled and drilled, and he keeps making the saves no matter what. They have him in a chair. He's laying down, and he keeps making the saves. And that was Thomas Hasley. He was a brick wall. And we saw the little video, the little meme of him running into the camera. And it was kind of funny. I was like, this kid is younger than me. You know, he's out here just blocking shots right and left. So that was just, it was really just fun to see. And it was really a shame they couldn't make it through. Because he even saved the penalty, but they couldn't make it happen. But that was just a great moment overall. Yeah, I think, you know, honorable mention to a slightly less exciting moment for uh, Vancouver Whitecaps, that game against... uh, San Jose Earthquakes, where San Jose comes back, wins 4-3. You get the little flare made with the spray by the staff. I think that was a great moment. But for me, the most excited I felt was that game, you know, Sporting KC versus Vancouver. Thomas Hassall, you know, these teams are supposed to have 12 guys on the bench. Vancouver ends up having seven because so many guys weren't there. Injuries, this and that. They don't have a goalie on the bench. It's the biggest underdog story we've you could, you could possibly see in the in the tournament like this. And you know, here's this guy. He makes one save. You think surely he can't do it again. Then it's two. Then it's three. And it ends up being eight. And I think you know, if he was American, we'd probably say he was the biggest depth chart jumper because Canada doesn't really have a clear number three for now. And Thomas Assault might have just put his name into that mix. So you know, I definitely think that was the best moment. And you know, he even got a nomination for goalkeeper of the tournament when. Coming in, he was a 21-year-old, unproven, you know, third goalie. So, you know, big shout to Thomas Hassall from his American friends over here. Yeah, if you're listening, Thomas, come on the pod. We'd love to hear about this experience that you had there. Yeah, it was just nuts. It was crazy. I remember he went down briefly and they had the other outfield player get ready to play in goal. And I'm like, there's no way this is going to happen. And thankfully it didn't. But he, he was a brick wall, man. I was like, is this Tim Howard versus Belgium, bro? He was absolutely nuts. So it was Again, it was it was just so cool to see that and see a guy who completely unsung and almost just saved his way to victory for his team. But I think we have a little bit of time left here. I guess I can also add, please rate, review, and subscribe. And thanks for listening. But we'll get a couple other things in here quickly before we wrap it up. We have the Anthony Robinson transfer saga. It looks like he's heading over to Sheffield United. Do you have any quick thoughts on that one before we wrap up? Yeah, I think in, in general, you know, if you take out – you know, personnel in terms of system, I think it's the perfect system for Anthony Robinson. They play for five in the back with two wing backs who are the main width for the team, which means that Anthony Robinson will be getting forward, which is his strong suit. And Chris Wild over there has a very unique system with overlapping center backs and defending is Sheffield United's kind of bread and butter. So Anthony Robinson will need to get used to the system. But while I think in terms of a fit, it's might be the best option he has because like we said, you know, mid table, lower late table, Premier League team, higher championship. They have a very solid left back in Enda Stevens, who many had as 
their left back of the season over Andrew Robertson. And he knows Chris Wilder's system has been playing there for multiple years. And I think it will probably take a lot for Robinson to take him over and start in meaningful games. Maybe he'll get a couple of starts in the Premier League here and there. He'll probably play in all the cup games. So in terms of that aspect, you know, Robinson himself said he didn't want to go to a place like AC Milan because he wanted somewhere where he'd be the starter. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if this move does go through. I like in terms of the system, but if he wants to be an every game starter, he, you know, really has to come in strong. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But I think it's a good opportunity you mentioned before that his struggles defensively. This is really a situation where he's going to be forced to defend for 70 minutes of the game and use whatever time he has to bomb forward and be an attacking option. But like you said, there's an established player ahead of him, but he is still young. So I think it's a good opportunity for him to kind of get his feet wet in the Premier League. You know, they're only paying, I think, around two million reported. To, again, it's not official, but we're going to assume it is for the kids. Okay. Uh, it's around two million pounds, the transfer. Um, it's not official yet, but like I said, there's a guy ahead of him and there's an opportunity for him to make a name for himself here. But I think the team will also allow him to have time to kind of settle into this new environment, learn the system and become a valuable player for them long term. Is there any other thing you should touch on before wrapping up? I think we're good. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're good, man. Okay. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the One Goal U.S. Soccer Podcast. Of course, please rate, review, and subscribe. And for all things U.S. soccer, visit onegoal.us. Subscribe to the newsletter if you're feeling like it. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram doing all that good stuff. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. Take care. That was pretty quick, I think. It was good. Yeah.